Hello, and welcome to a History of Egypt podcast mini-episode, The First Pharaohs. This is a quick look at the word pharaoh, where it comes from, what it means, and why you should technically only use it for kings who ruled from the 15th century BCE onwards. Read any book or article on Egyptian history, and nine times out of ten, the author will refer to the reigning monarch of Egypt as the pharaoh. This is correct, it comes from a genuine Egyptian word, and that word did refer to the ruler of the country. But you may have noticed that I, in this podcast, have almost never used the word pharaoh to refer to the king. In 70 plus episodes, I think there are maybe two where I use the term, Otherwise, I refer to them as kings, rulers, or monarchs. Why? It's quite simple. The term pharaoh didn't become common as a reference to the king until much later in Egyptian history. If the history of the Egyptian kings lasts about 3,000 years, then pharaoh was really only used for about half of that time. A full 50% of Egyptian royal history doesn't use the term pharaoh in the way that we think of it. So. Where does this word come from, and what does it mean? The word pharaoh is a Greek word, and it is derived in turn from a Hebrew word, paro, and then from an older Egyptian term. The Egyptian term is per-aya, and it means great house. Per-aya is a reference to the palace of the king and the power which resided within it. Government power, religious power, social power, that kind of thing. Per-aya is an old word, it has been around for millennia. But for the first half of Egyptian history, say from about 2500 to 1500 BCE, that term referred almost exclusively to the palace as an institution. Kind of how we would refer to the White House, when what we really mean is the officials and decision makers who work within that building. Downing Street, Kremlin, Parliament, etc. The habit is pretty long ingrained in Western civilization. We lump people together under their closest government or administrative label, and then we go from there. So the per-aya, the great house, was an administrative term, kind of in that sense. How did it wind up referring to the king? Around the time of Queen Hatshepsut and Thutmose III, approximately 1500 BCE, the term per-aya starts to creep into Egyptian administrative texts, but not as a reference to the palace. Instead, it slowly starts to appear in a sense that might be a reference to the actual ruler of the country, the monarch themselves. So instead of per-aya, the great house of government, it started to become per-aya, the great house who is the king. Now, no one is certain when the term was first used like this. Different Egyptologists pinpoint it at different times. It seems clear that the practice slowly became entrenched over generations, and this process kind of finished around 1300 BCE. But for a good 200 years between 1500 and 1300, Per-Aya, or Pharaoh, was kicking around in a rather vague sense. In some cases it referred to the government, the traditional sense of the word. In other cases, it seems to have subtly begun to refer to the king himself, or herself. 
That actually might be the point, according to Egyptologist Kara Cooney. Dr. Cooney proposes, tentatively, that the term pharaoh may have come about as a result of Queen Hatshepsut and her rather unorthodox kingship. Dr. Cooney, in her book The Woman Who Would Be King, notes that the use of the term per-aya to refer to the king may be the exact sort of euphemism that we would expect in a time when the power and authority of a king, traditionally male, was being wielded, in fact, by a woman. Imagine for a moment that you were a government official in the time of Hatshepsut. Your family has been involved in government for generations, and you've always served the great king faithfully. In other words, you're a loyal servant of the great house. But in this scenario, you are a traditionalist. The world is the way it is because the king and his queen intercede with the gods on behalf of humanity. They fulfill very distinct and separate roles, and they work together to form a complete whole, a whole that serves the gods and maintains the universe. The king, for example, uses his masculine energy to defeat chaos, commune with the gods, and maintain order in the universe. Surely, you say, this is a man's role. Well, now the power of the king is being wielded by a woman. This is not unprecedented, but to you, a traditionalist, it is an uncomfortable reality. You go along with it, because that's the reality of the situation. But if someone was to offer you a king instead, honestly, you'd prefer that. It's just more comforting. Well, in this scenario, in this kind of worldview, people might conceivably try to avoid the issue of referring to King Hatshepsut altogether. Instead of saying, Her Majesty the King, or His Majesty Hatshepsut, people might instead start to use a euphemism. In order to avoid referring to the king in a female sense, they might search around for a word that suited them and kind of gave the sense without making the point directly. An older word, perhaps. A word used for government and royal power. A word like per aya? This is what Dr. Cooney suggests, and she stresses that this is speculation. We simply do not have the information to determine exactly when, how, or why the term per aya, or pharaoh, came to be applied directly to the monarch. Now, we do know that by the time of King Horemheb and the start of the 19th dynasty, approximately 1300 BCE, the term pharaoh had become pretty common. It is used throughout that period to refer to the king, and so the term great house or pharaoh thus became the word that we know and love. But Horemheb and the 19th dynasty kings did not invent that use of the term, and there are at least a couple scenarios that might make sense. I've gone over the Hatshepsut scenario, but another option, for example, is the case of the ruler Akhenaten, whom we'll meet in a few episodes. Akhenaten's reign was notable for the centralization of authority in the person of the king, and the increase in public ceremony focused on the palace and the royal family. In that kind of megalomaniacal authoritarian environment, the term per aya might have become attached to the monarch because, in the world of Akhenaten, the palace and the king were more or less inseparable. Another interpretation is that it was really just a slow trend that happened without anyone really noticing or necessarily intending it. By the time the word pharaoh was common, it was entrenched, and people just rolled with it. 
Kind of like how so many words in modern English have evolved in the centuries since Shakespeare's day. The pronunciation or the meaning might have changed subtly or dramatically, and it's not always clear when or how that happened. Obviously, I've simplified that analogy a lot, but you get my point, right? Words evolve, sometimes unconsciously, and a society simply picks them up and runs with them. Sometimes it does this for a few generations before it actually stops and says, wait, how did this word get into this situation? That might be what happened with per aya or pharaoh. The term pharaoh is an interesting term, and over time it became synonymous with the royal power of the king. Obviously, the Hebrew Bible refers to the king exclusively as pharaoh, almost as if it's a personal name. But this is a later tradition, and even though it's filtered down to us over two millennia, this isn't how the ancient Egyptians would have understood it, at least not all the time. The term pharaoh, like many words, evolved slowly, and eventually it had a meaning distinct from its original intention. From administrative term, associated with the palace and royal power, it slowly became a euphemism or synonym with the monarch himself. Again, we're not sure exactly how this happened, but this seems to have been the general process. This podcast, so far, has avoided using the word pharaoh. Well, now that changes. Starting with episode 71, I am going to start slowly using the term more and more incrementally, where I think it's appropriate. I hope that by slowly introducing the word, I will quietly simulate how the word itself might have become more common. If I do my job well, we might get a good sense of the process as it unfolded. A fun experiment in language, if you will. So, that's how the term pharaoh came about. A reference to government that slowly morphed into a euphemism for the ruling monarch. It covered the power, majesty, and ideal of the king, as well as their actual authority and influence in real life. It also worked whether the king was male or female. Granted, there never was another Hatshepsut, but you never know. It also gave Egyptians a useful shorthand to refer to the world in which their ruler and their government operated. The ruler of all Egypt and that government were united in a single individual who was the symbol of absolute authority. Truly, he was the great house. So, we are now entering the age of pharaohs. Welcome 